Hello, and welcome to Ed Infinitum, the podcast that makes school the subject of study. I'm your host, David Nuremberg. This is Season 4, Episode 8, Lost and Found, Addressing COVID-19 Learning Loss. At just about a month away from the beginning of the 2021-2022 academic year, two words are on the minds of every school administrator, and maybe some teachers and parents as well. Learning loss. Learning loss is a term used to describe the gap between how much students have learned during a year in school versus how much they are normally expected to learn in terms of progress towards standards articulated by their state's departments of education. Over the past year of remote and hybrid learning brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic, students have missed out on a great deal of in-school instruction. Just how much they missed out, of course, varies, as every one of the 13,000 public school districts in the nation has made different choices. For rough numbers, a June report by McKinsey and Company estimates that approximately 60% of K-12 students started last school year fully remote, and 20% began with a hybrid model, a mix of both remote and in-person instruction, while 20% went back into classrooms full-time from the very beginning. And the report doesn't even try to keep track of at what point during the year, if at all, students returned to full-time in-person instruction. Calculating how much learning loss happened during this time is, if anything, even more challenging. A recent study from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Arts and Sciences estimates a learning loss of about 3 percentile points, or about 0.08 standard deviations. That's basically the equivalent of missing about a fifth of the school year, with losses being up to 60% larger among students from socioeconomically disadvantaged backgrounds. The amusing thing here about this study is that they're basing these figures on schools in other nations who tend to keep more organized and systematized track of this kind of data than is generally done here in the U.S., and that alone tells you quite a bit about the challenges we're facing as a nation here recovering from the pandemic. Domestically, we often have to rely on murkier self-reports, like a Horace Mann Foundation Voice of the Educator survey from this past March, in which 97% of 1,000 educators polled nationwide reported seeing some level of learning loss in their students when compared with children in previous years. Some states, like California, have some slightly harder and faster numbers, but I won't share them here because data collection's been so spotty and so qualified by cautions that everyone everywhere is basically saying at this point, there's been a lot of learning loss, even if we can't put a firm number to it. The other thing that pretty much everyone's pretty sure about is that the degree of this learning loss varies enormously depending on which children we're talking about. There are vast inequities, both between schools in terms of which of them were able to provide more in-person learning or higher quality remote instruction, and between students, given the financial and physical health of their families during this time, the robustness of their at-home support systems, and a lot of this, yes, tracks with race. Many white, affluent, highly educated families were able to leverage all of the usual advantages they have in order to maintain or even advance their children's academic progress during this time, while kids from many black and brown families, especially those from less wealthy backgrounds, fell even farther behind. COVID made these always present disparities become even more pronounced. While there have been scattered efforts by parents' groups, including some legal action, to try and essentially hit the reset button on school curriculum and instruction this year, 
So far, everything I've read indicates that state departments of education have been firmly instructing schools and teachers to not just pretend that last year never happened. In other words, if a large number of 7th graders in a class essentially missed out on 6th grade math last year, their math teacher is not supposed to reteach 6th grade material to them now. Instead, they're supposed to somehow teach 7th grade material and just catch up the kids, somehow, by squeezing in two years' worth of instruction into one. And that is a very tall order. I've opined in this podcast before that the way that state learning standards are articulated in terms of breadth of coverage makes it already nearly impossible to cover one year's standards in one year anyway. You can cover these standards by having a learning goal of the day and going through a lesson and then having a quiz and moving on, but it's often very surface level, and the pace just marches forward even when many students haven't really learned the material at all. Even before COVID, many teachers wrestled with how to catch kids up who came to them with skill levels that were years behind the schedule expected, and with other kids who already knew this stuff and were now bored out of their minds doing it again. The model of one-size-fits-all, teach-to-the-middle instruction, still dominant in so many classrooms, goes too quickly for many students and is too slow to engage others. Now that the COVID pandemic has made those classrooms even more disparate in terms of student needs, it is more vital than ever that teachers practice what is called differentiated instruction. I devote a whole episode to DI in Season 1, Episode 7, but in brief, what it entails is students in the same class tackling the same core skill or knowledge, but in different levels of complexity, and sometimes even on different timelines. Schools need to be willing to sacrifice some breadth for depth, to not try and briefly hit on every single piece of every single learning standard by year's end, but instead to select the most core, fundamental things students need to know and be able to do, and then plan to spend sufficient time in the school year to allow students who are behind to catch up, both in the classroom and, if necessary, later in the day, during things like X-blocks or elective time, to provide them with more scaffolds and opportunity for practice and revision, while simultaneously giving students who are already at, or even beyond, grade level the chance to go deeper. By deeper, I don't mean do two extra pages of math problems or read an additional novel but rather engaging those kids in that same learning task, but in a more complex, cognitively demanding way. For example, to not just write a literary essay about a novel you read in English class, but to read several critics' take on that book, and then compare, contrast, and synthesize their views with your own. Too many teachers aren't trained to teach this way. It wasn't how they were taught, after all. And I can tell you from 21 years of experience that it is much more difficult to teach this way than just by preparing a single lecture or problem set per lesson. But decades of research tell us that this is the way to teach for equity. Parents should demand this as often as need be until schools change. And now that the federal government has made all sorts of additional funds available to districts, they should be spending some of that money on training teachers how to use these methods. It's not going to be easy, but Maybe, maybe it's that wake-up call we've all been desperately needing for schools to finally step out of the 19th century and into the 21st. But there's also another aspect of this whole learning loss issue that bugs me, and that's in the very specific and narrow way in which the conversation in educational circles and especially in the media is handling the issue of learning during the past year of the pandemic. Valerie Strauss had a great piece in the Washington Post about a year ago wherein she contested that students have, in fact, learned a great deal 
during the COVID year. Lessons about resilience and adaptability in the face of adversity, about the work-school-family balance, about injustices in healthcare and policing and electoral politics. I'll quote her here at length because it's really great stuff. Quote, when these students begin the school year, we should welcome them with wonder and assume they have learned immeasurable and previously unknowable things. We should assume they have been tested, stretched, and challenged in new ways. We should imagine that even the youngest have been through a refining fire and have emerged with some kind of hard-won wisdom we may not yet see. Students are learning how to reset the rhythms and structures of their days. They're learning different patterns and modes of communication. They may be taking on different roles in their homes and learning how to complete new tasks and engage in new games and develop or sustain new and different activities. Students cannot help but learn about themselves, others, and the world around them in this time when solitude had steadily increased alongside disconnection and uncertainty. Even those who are too young to verbalize their understandings understand their world has changed and are changing right along with it. If we use words such as slide, loss, waste, pause, gap, and cliff to describe their learning, literacy, and achievement, what will they conclude about their own intelligence, potential, and ability to learn independently? End quote. If schools and the news media continually cast this past year as simply one of knowledge and maturational deprivation, then it denigrates the incredible growth that many students, especially some of our most economically disadvantaged kids, have in fact undergone. To be effective in reaching these kids, their teachers need to acknowledge and celebrate those learning gains and incorporate discussion of those lessons into the classroom as well. On a similar note, Ron Berger, author and senior advisor at EL Education, wrote an Atlantic piece recently expressing his worry about what he calls, quote, our obsessive need to measure academic progress and loss to the decimal point, an enterprise that feels at once comfortably scientific and hopelessly subjective is also woefully out of tune with the moment, end quote. A recent Edutopia piece by Stephen Merrill elaborates that, quote, if there's a pressing need for measurement, it's in the reckoning of the social, emotional, and psychological toll of the pandemic year, the need to rebuild the phrase social fabric of our learning communities, which study after study indicates is foundational to true learning. That should be our paramount concern. The consequences of getting our priorities wrong and putting the content before the child are serious and long-term, end quote. He continues, quote, whatever we do when we return will be historic by definition. If all we come up with is passing out diagnostic tests to quantify learning loss and then track kids into groups for remediation, it will be a terrible failure of the imagination, end quote. Merrill says that schools should be focusing less on furious academic remediation and more on having teachers build and restore relationships with students, which a great deal of research demonstrates also does have a positive effect on their academic achievement. As for me, I admit I'm not sure what this year is going to hold for schools, especially with the rise of the Delta variant. Schools that were considering relaxing masking and distancing rules and phasing out their online and hybrid components are starting to walk all of those ideas back. While in some states, most notably Florida, schools are moving in the opposite direction, Florida's governor having recently outright prohibited schools from enforcing masking mandates. Will there be future closures? To what degree will remote, Zoom-mediated learning persist? I can already tell you the answers to these and similar questions will be different depending on what schools and what students we're talking about. That's the big problem. 
And there's a new degree of uncertainty in my own professional life as well, as after 21 years of maintaining an active teaching presence in the high school classroom, I'm now stepping out and devoting at least this coming year to the so-called bigger picture. On the one hand, this frees me up to visit and observe more schools and get an even wider and more complex view of public education in the U.S. writ large. I can do more research and spend more time coordinating efforts with my academic colleagues and with my graduate students. On the other hand, it feels genuinely weird on so many levels to be starting the first year of my life since I was 22, not in front of a classroom of teenagers every day. I'm uncomfortably mindful of the advice that one of my childhood heroes, the legendary Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise, gives to his future successor, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, when the two of them meet in a space-time nexus in the otherwise pretty forgettable movie Star Trek Generations. Here's that scene. Captain of the Enterprise. I try. Close to retirement? I'm not planning on it. Let me tell you something. Don't. Don't let them promote you. Don't let them transfer you. Don't let them do anything that takes you off the bridge of that ship, because while you're there, you can make a difference. I'm hoping that I can still make a difference doing what I'm doing, and that if I feel I'm not, that there will still be a place for me in a classroom somewhere where I can get back in and get back to work. But the answer to that question, as with the question of learning loss, lies like the events of Star Trek, in the future. That's all the time we have for now. Class dismissed, and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. If you did, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you found us. Like us on our Facebook page. And if you really enjoy it, please consider visiting our website, www.ed-infinitum.com and making a donation to keep it running. Otherwise, and the grand tradition of underfunded public schools will be reliant on only what we can make from bake sales. The website is the place to go if you want to suggest a topic or send me an email for any other reason. Our theme music is Happy Schoolmaster by Mind Music ID. Thanks again for listening, and remember, every day brings us opportunities to learn something new.